Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode, I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Taylor McInerney, the head women's water polo coach at Indiana University. If you enjoy the episode, give a five-star review and share it with your friends. And if you want to support the program, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Off the Deck. Um, I'm here with Taylor McInerney. Is it I say that right? Uh, close, yeah. <laughs> well, why don't, you, why don't you say it? McInerney. McInerney. Okay, so I'm here with yeah, Taylor McInerney uh, from Indiana <laughs> University. Uh, thank you so much for being here. I, I appreciate you being on the show. I know you're probably super busy right now. I am honored and really appreciate you having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, so, so I mean, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. You're actually the first uh, guest in like this revamp, oh. reboot. So I appreciate awesome. it. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I think this is like a really important conversation to have, uh, not just... Um, based off of like your coaching uh, a program that is like has been established and doing really well and also um, in the part of the country that you're in. So I'm excited to learn about what all the things that you've learned experience being at Indiana. Uh, but first I wanted to start off with just how did you get involved with um, water polo in general? Uh, tell us about your journey with as a player and, and also as a coach. Yeah, great. Um, well, I grew up in Orange County, so a water polo hotbed for sure. Um, I grew up playing a lot of different sports. Um, we lived near the beach and so grew up learning to surf and swimming was important for uh, my family. My dad was a beach lifeguard growing up um, in Long Beach and you know, ocean safety was always important for us if we were going to be going to the beach. So between that and doing you know, club swimming and basketball and soccer and different things, um, eventually made our way, my brothers and I, I have two younger brothers, uh, my brothers and I made our way towards water polo. I think I was about 11 or 12 when I started playing. Um, and that was largely influenced from my dad because he grew up playing water polo, played high school at Long Beach Wilson and played for Newland at Irvine. Um, and so the, the water polo blood runs deep in, in our family. Uh, and then, Laguna Beach didn't have enough girls when I started playing to have a 12 and under team, which is kind of crazy now because they, you know, at the age group level, their programs have been a powerhouse, I feel like for the last 10 years or so. Um, So I started playing in San Clemente and then, so my dad would drive me down there a couple, a couple nights a week. And then I think for 14s, we finally rallied enough girls at Laguna to have 14s. So finished up their 14s and then, uh, my high school coach, my freshman year, Rick McKee, he, we operated the high school team as a club team. So we were breaker my first year of 16s. Um, and then in a coaching change that kind of fizzled apart. Um, and then that's when like the Laguna girls really all started going to set. Um, so played three years at set and then went to Cal, played at Cal, loved, um, loved my time in Berkeley, go bears. And, um, after that, I played a year in Spain. I followed one of my teammates. She like negotiated a deal, got got it all worked out. And when, when she told me she was going, I'm like, do you, 
can you take me with you? Do they need another player? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, finagled my way into Spain for a year to play and then came back to the States and was, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I worked for a nonprofit in the Bay Area called Positive Coaching Alliance. They've done a lot of work with USA Water Polo. Okay. Um, Yeah, it was, I really liked it. Um, My first PCA event, I got to meet uh, Phil Jackson. So I was like, this is the best place ever. Yeah. Um, Growing up as as a Laker fan. And, uh, but I was missing, and I was talking to a lot of athletic directors in my role working with coaches, but I wanted to be on that coaching side. So, um, applied to a couple assistant jobs that ended up getting a graduate assistant position at Wagner. Um, I'd been in New York before college boyfriend was from New York and so had familiarity with it. And, um, I also wanted a master's degree. So it was a perfect, I wanted an MBA. So it was a perfect combo of, I got to get closer to water polo again in that, you know, more like hands-on role as a coach and then also got the degree that I wanted after that. Uh, that was a two year, like kind of fixed time position. So after those two years apply, I I had great timing. I will say the NCAA passed the, uh, it's like second full-time assistant coaching position the summer that I finished my graduate assistant position. Now, not everyone hired a second assistant coach right away. A lot of schools still don't have a second full-time assistant. Um, but I at least had options and then I got hired here as an assistant, I was an assistant for two years. And then again, in a coaching change, um, I was fortunate enough to be, you know, seriously considered in the interview. And I, I told the, you know, the group running the interviews and like the sports supervisor, I don't want to go. Cause they asked me to interview. And I'm like, I don't want to interview unless I'm actually going to be considered for the job, because if I'm not actually going to be considered, let me go find another job. Yeah. Um, but was really fortunate that they, they gave me a shot. And now I'm headed into my fourth year as the head coach here at IU. Yeah. I mean, certainly have like the experience to be considered for a position like Indiana, but I could, I could imagine that you didn't want to walk into a position where it's like, listen, like, I don't want to just like be some, some box that you're checking. I interviewed the assistant or whatever it might be. Like I want to really put my stamp on the program, but Going back to just like a couple steps in terms of like your playing and um, and then you're into your coaching career. Um, Laguna Beach is such a unique area to be a part of, like program to be a part yeah. of. And I, I've always had so much admiration for that area as well as Newport and CDM. It seems like there's like this long bloodline of water polo families and aquatic families in Laguna beach. Is that like the sense you got when you were going through high school and starting with the age group, like at 14s there, it's like a, it's just like a, such a strong aquatic community, water polo community in general. Yeah. Such a strong water polo community. And even before, like before I got into high school, Laguna had good players come through right? Yeah. Not necessarily a lot at the same time. Um, one who I think of is Spencer Jordan. He went to Cal and played. And so like, that was a big name coming out of the program. Um, right before me, Addison, she went to ASU. She was a really strong player. Um, I'm forgetting her last name now, but yeah. so it was, it was more speckled throughout, um, with talent. And then my dad coached me at 14s and like when, when Ethan started coaching at the club or like started back coaching with the club, they were both coaching my brothers. And I like to think that my dad started the train of, you know, water polo dads who, who helped out. But since, 
since then, there's been a ton of, of really involved dads who played at high levels, you know, whether it's my dad playing at Irvine or Eric Fisher, who's the Olympian, um, yeah. really, really strong dads helping out really dedicated coaches who are around the kids all the time. So yeah. the, the water polo pride is, is real in Laguna. And, um, like we've always maybe like felt like the, the younger sibling to like the Newports or the CDMs. But I think the last, the last 10 years, especially on the girl side, Laguna has, has really shown its strength. Yeah, there's something to be said about a parent coaching because they have a vested interest in that program doing really well. And you can't really say, hey, you're being mean to my daughter or, you know, you're, you're be- <laughs> because I'm sure no one's harder on you than, you know, your own family, you know, obviously because they know what your goals are. But um, and then kind of going into your graduate assistant position. When you took that position, did you already know that you wanted to be a coach or were you like going like, listen, I'm going to use my water polo as a way to get me my degree and then whatever happens after that happens? Yeah, it was definitely more the latter. I, at the time, I knew that I wanted to work in the sports industry. I didn't really know at what capacity. Um, I thought of myself working more in like, I'll get an MBA, I'll concentrate in marketing, work for, you know, like a pro franchise at the time I was like, I'll stay in New York, you know, I'll work for the Rangers or whoever out there. Um, and then, but being on the deck every day and, and working with the athletes was, was something that I didn't really want to give up. Um, and you know, that kind of put my, having been out of the pool and off the deck for about like two years, I guess, like in between, and then being back in there really put it into perspective for me. And, um, definitely swayed me towards coaching for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And then I want one more question about just like kind of like your journey when you went to Cal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming actually I know it's probably similar to the program you're running in terms of at right now at Indiana, in terms of the level of commitment and dedication, the talent, um, obviously at Cal, you're going to be a lot, there's a lot more depth at Cal, I'm assuming, um, as, as opposed to the other programs that are sort of sprinkled around the country. If you could think now, looking back on that, was there anything that kind of gave you an aha moment of like, wow, this is, this is crazier than I thought it was going to be, or this is easier than I thought it was going to be, or... Is there anything that pops in your head right now? I know I'm putting you on the spot because this isn't something that I sent to you. But, no, it's you good. Know. I uh, Speed was always one of my better skills. I was never the strongest, never the best shooter, um, but I'm left-handed, luckily, and uh, was fast and, and could play defense and pass. So when we started off the year conditioning, I was like, oh, like I got this. I'm in you yeah. know, the top... 20% speed wise and, and things are good. And then we, uh, you know, you start doing contact and start, and start doing more water polo things. I was like, Oh, uh, you know, that girl's a fifth year and you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, once, once the caps came out, there was definitely a bit of a, this is, but that's what I wanted. And yeah. I think that's, people ask me all the time. Like if you, my mom has asked, like asked me a couple times, um, now being out here and being in um, just like a different kind of water polo world. Um, if I would, 
if I would choose Cal again, right? I go through, I talk recruiting so much. And so like, would I do it again? And I absolutely would, but I knew, I knew exactly what I wanted. Um, and being, being in a spot where I was going to have to fight and make my way was something that I wanted. And I definitely had to do that. Yeah, no. And, and that, that's such a great point. You know, that kind of brings me to the, the next question of like your overall feeling about water polo right now. And, and specifically in Indiana, like some of those challenges, but it's such a great point to, to mention that you knew exactly what you wanted. And so I would assume that as the head coach of a program at at an institution that is so prominent and so like, I mean, everybody knows Indiana. Um, I would assume that you're looking for recruits that have that similar mindset of like, you know what you want because there's going to be struggles and you have that insight to be able to like, let them know that, look, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be these struggles down the road that you don't even know of. You haven't even thought of yet. And so, you know, when you're now that you're in Indiana and and you've really like kind of established yourself there, you know, what's your feeling about water polo, high school, club, um, anything really right now in USA? Yeah, I think we, it's, it's this weird in between where I can tell that we're growing, right? There's better players, at least on the women's side, the men's side I follow, right? Like I know, I know Cal had a big win against UCLA this weekend. Um, but other than that, the men, the men's side is a little bit at arms, arms distance for me, but on the women's side, there's better players coming from different parts of the country. Um, and there's more, I feel like there is parity at the collegiate level, um, from teams like five to 20, really like four to 20. I think there's a lot more parity. So that's great. But we also, and I see that I think at the same time at the club and high school level, like it's, it's really hard to make top 10 at JOs, um, you know, top 20 at JOs. And you, I think you see a lot more parity throughout that like next tier, but the top tier is still kind of untouched. And so that's, that's a jump that I think we need to make where it's not the same two teams in the final every year. And girls aren't automatically jumping to XYZ club so that they can bring home some hardware at the end of the summer. Um, that's something that I think needs to be fixed. And all of that comes from growth. Like we just need to grow as a sport. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that we, you know, the macro level 30,000 foot view, we have to grow, but like micro, a lot of things I think need to change. Yeah. It's hard to like grow at the rate that water polo has grown and worry or fix the other issues that come along with that growth at such a rapid rate. And moving up to NorCal, I I see some of that up here, you know, like we're so spread out. The area is so big. Coaching is difficult. Um, finding opportunities that fit athletes is difficult, you know, because you're, you know, we live in Marin, you know, if, if you go outside of Marin, it's an hour drive. And so, you know, no matter what you got to, that's an issue in Orange County. That's not much of an issue. You know, people are more condensed. Um, and so I definitely see that. And I mean, I'll just say it like, you kind of played in a program that has that on the club level, right? Where they want, they have an all-star team. Ethan does a really great job of 
coaching 16s and 18s. I mean, he's he's packed and he's doing that. Um, and that may not be what's best necessarily for water polo at, at that moment, but you also see people wanting that different opportunity of like they want to win. They don't want to be at a program right. that, that is not winning. But how do you take what's happened here in Orange County, which is positive, like mainly positive, right? Um, and how do you view Indiana? Like, what do you do in Indiana to to fill your roster? Like, how do you how do you do that? I'm fortunate to where Indiana is a Big Ten school, and Indiana has a a truly global brand. We have the second largest living alumni base in the whole world. There are Hoosiers everywhere. Wow. Um, like I have, I have athletes on the team who's, you know, I have an athlete whose grandpa was a quarterback on our football team here. I have athletes whose parents grew up in Indiana. I have recruits every year who have family in Indiana in some way. It's kind of crazy. Um, but so I, there's enough draw I think from just like wanting to come to school here, it's a cool, it's a cool place to go to school. We have strong academic programs. The Kelly school of business is one of the best in the country. All of that is there. Um, the hard part is finding the really is getting a really elite athlete to want to leave California to come here and be, and be a Hoosier. Usually if they're looking to leave California, they have a specific place in mind that they want to go. And then if it's not IU, I'm not going to be able to convince them otherwise is yeah. something that I found. Um, and then from like an age group perspective, like I have two girls on my team who are from Cincinnati. That's the closest club and high school area. And it's about two hours away. Yeah. St. Louis is three and a half. Chicago's four hours. Um, so we don't have water polo like right in our back pocket, but it's close enough to where if a good athlete in the Midwest is getting skipped over by like us or Michigan. I think we're doing something wrong. We got to try and keep those athletes in house. Um, I know from like the other head coaches who I'm around every day, like our, our men's soccer program is one of the strongest collegiate programs in history. And he, he told me one time, he was like, if I'm missing a kid in our 50 mile radius, I'm doing it wrong. So yeah. for me, I, I encompass that as more of like the general, really the rest of, uh, the rest of the country outside of California, if I'm missing a kid who's, you know, quote unquote out of state, then, which really means out of California, then I think I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. And you have a lot to offer just from the social aspect of things too. I mean, you get like a college oh, yeah. experience, there's, you know, football, basketball, the whole deal. So I would imagine that there's like pretty exciting recruiting trips and, you know, is there, did you see these issues ahead of time when you got the job or have more issues popped up <laughs> as you, you know, taken over? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, I was hit with the reality of trying to get kids out of California more at Wagner than here. Now, granted, Wagner is a small liberal arts school that's in Staten Island, like just outside of New York city. So it's, a uh, that was really hard to yeah, recruit yeah. to and just getting, getting kids out there. And then, but at least once you got a kid to campus, it, it was either for them or it wasn't. So that was a little bit, a little bit easier right now recruiting like 
I'll, I'll lose a recruit to Michigan. I'll lose a recruit to Harvard. I'll lose a recruit to UC Santa Barbara. Like the who we're up against is really all across the board. So that, that challenge I definitely wasn't expecting, but I think people also think that us in Michigan, because we're the two big 10 schools, think everybody thinks we're 20 minutes away from each other. (laughs) We're not, we're like five hours apart. People think we're the same and we're not at all. Um, so that's something I'm realizing more and more too. If like, if someone wants to go to Michigan, I'm not going to convince them otherwise they're going to go to Michigan. Yeah. 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 I mean, like taking over here in Marin, it's, there was a lot of things that I didn't anticipate. I I just was like, I got this. I can recruit (laughs) this, you know, like I, I can convince people, you know, it's like that confidence in yourself and sort of like you've been around, you, you know, you understand the like, the athletes that you're talking to and who you're going to like try to recruit, you know, who the untouchables are that you're, you're probably never going to convince, but the majority, I mean, you could, you can convince, I think it's more a matter of like, there is a, a lack of knowledge to the general public about what it means to play outside of Southern California or Northern California. Like I played at Queens college. Absolutely. No one even knows what Queens college is anymore, but back then it was a big thing, you know, it was, it was, it was really exciting, but like, how do you, you know, like people are probably asking questions. How do you get to the NC2A? Who do you have? Who do you even play? Who's in your league? Who's in your conference? people don't know those things. And that's a, that's a challenge. Just you're educating people before you're even recruiting them. Right. That's the majority of our intro recruiting conversations. So June 15th, end of sophomore year, we're allowed to start talking to the next class. So the current class we're recruiting 2024s, we started talking to them back in June. And I would say we spent the majority of the summer while trying to get to know the girls, really educating them on, who we are, who we play, how much we travel, um, what our training is like and how that might differ from other schools. We don't have summer training here because if a girl came from water polo, she can go home and find water polo. That's kind of my philosophy. And if you can spend your summer getting an internship or, you know, I have you for a good nine months out of the year. If you want to be in California, those other three, go for it. If you want to stay on campus, great. We'll find stuff for you to do. But yeah, we spend the we spend a lot of time educating and that's, I think where even more of my frustration with recruiting comes from. Cause I'm like, it's so clear. I helped make it so clear. But um, yeah, I think a lot of like parents and athletes, they don't really know what questions to ask either. And we end up with that conversation a lot where we're like, Hey, like, do you have any questions for us? And I've had several say, we don't really know what to ask. We don't really know what we're looking for. Um, So piecing together, like I've got set pieces on every phone call or every Zoom of, you know, I call them my education pieces of what I want to talk about, um, thoughtful questions for them to get their own thoughts going about yeah. what, you know, the same way that I knew what I wanted to, to help them figure out what they want. Yeah. No, that's really, that's really important. You probably have to, you know, when I was at Concordia, that's recruiting. <laughs> you're really recruiting. Like it's, it's not like, I mean, nothing against UCLA or Cal or USC or, or Stanford, but you're kind of like picking and choosing, I would assume. Oh yeah. Like, you know, you're like, okay, I have this giant pot of kids that I get to pick. And of course you're the, the top upper level you're going to compete, but you have a really big pool to, 
to pull from and you're probably going out and finding that diamond in the rough, that person that's going to develop. And yep. so, you know, when you're looking and you're recruiting, you know, I've seen you on the pool deck and you're, you're going to JOs and doing all these different things. Is there something you're looking for in the play, in the person, their demeanor? Is there something that you just like are always looking for? And, and what is that thing? Oh, I mean, to an extent, it's all of it. So you can't have someone, if, if you're not helping, you're hurting. And that's in every which way and shape across the board, offense, defense, in class, in the community, if you're not helping, you're hurting. So, um, someone who's good at all of it, but I would say the things that stick out to me the most, um, positive demeanor with their teammates. So I could tell who the girls are, who are level-headed when the game is close. Um, the ones who are negative towards the referees or to their coaches, what's their body language like in a team, in a team huddle is a girl staring off at her parents in the stands, or is she engaged in making eye contact with her coaches? And then from a skill perspective, passing is a big one for me. Do you understand the flow of the game? Do you know where the ball is the fastest and slowest moving thing in the pool? And the, the better you can manipulate the speed of the ball, the better player you are, in my opinion. So yeah. um, girls who are able to keep the ball dry when they're supposed to, put the ball in the water when they're supposed to, um, and like and moving without the ball to make sure that the ball can move fast. Those types of things stick out to me. Yeah. And are you, do you feel like you're in the mindset of I'm recruiting specific positions or are you just like, I want the best available um, or is it a combination of, I'm sure it's a combination of both, but um, l- given your limited pool that you're pulling from, what do you prioritize? Are- I'd say by position for the most part, um, like I'm not going to have a team full of utilities and then be, you know, girls who are, or like a team full of defenders and then be stuck without a center. Um, the currently we have no lefties on the roster. So that's, uh, I'm the only lefty in the program for now, but, uh, that's been, uh, so that's been a piece that we've been specifically looking for, but then at the same time, like trying to fill that role. And if we can't fill it with the right person, I'm not just going to sub anybody in to that spot. So there is a little bit of that quality control. And I want to be a place that develops athletes better than anywhere else in the country. And not just because you survive training, right. And you're on a roster of 30 and you, you make it every day through training and you have great, great girls that you're playing against in practice. Like, okay, great. You might be a good player. I want to develop girls through getting opportunities to play. So I don't want to have a huge inflated roster where I've got, you know, 20 right-handed attackers and I play six of them. Um, it's, it's definitely more by, more by position, but then also maintaining high quality at each position. Yeah. And, and I'm going to move into like this next phase talking about like USA water polo and, and that yeah. you've, you've had some experience with that, but it, it kind of coincides with, you know, what we're talking about right now in terms of like player development and, and you developing players. Um, what was your USA water polo national team experience like, um, you know, what did you learn from that and how are you applying some of those things to the development of your players now? Yeah, I, I really, I timing, timing is everything. Um, the, 
the summer where I was in between Wagner and Indiana as an assistant coach, um, I was reaching out to coaches everywhere. I didn't know who was going to be hiring a, a second assistant, reached out to a ton of coaches to see if they were hiring. I reached out to Dan Klatt. Um, he was not hiring a, a second assistant, but he was the head coach for the World University Games team that was competing that summer in Taipei, Taiwan. And he said, I don't have an assistant coach position, probably won't have a full-time second assistant for whatever, a couple of years, but I have this manager spot for World University Games. You can have it if you want it. I and I just said yes, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'll take it. But, hey, yeah, twist my arm. Um, yeah. So, but I had I had no idea what I was getting into, um, and it was it was an unbelievable experience for me. Not only did I get to learn so much from Dan, I learned a lot more. I learned a lot more about international tournaments and how they're run. Um, I learned, I mean, we stayed in an athlete village. It was the coolest, the coolest experience, um, learned what national team travel was like and like expectations for the staff while they traveled, how they planned practice. Um, that was interesting too. And, you know, not realizing the, the negotiating that you have to, to do to get more pool time or to manipulate your practice time and managing the transportation. So many things that you think a national team is going to have control over and you don't, you're at the discrepancy of, you know, the governing body who's running the tournament. So I gained a ton of experience from that and also getting to see Dan interact with that team. We had the Kylie Neuschel was on that team, Aria Fisher, um, girls who were, you know, like senior team players, but then also a mix of younger girls who were also, you know, maybe at like the end of their national team career, they had made like youth teams, maybe junior teams. This was like their senior B team opportunity to try and, and pass it up. So, but that tournament was interesting because Dan, our very first team meeting, once we got to Taiwan, we sat in a room and Dan had all of the girls and staff go around in the room and say what their, what their goals were for the tournament. And that to me was really cool to see how he coached a group where the collective goal is the same to win the tournament, but how he was going to help each of those girls meet that, meet their individual goal. So that was in a two week span, right. Where they didn't really, we just like got together and kind of played. I think they, they had tryouts and trained a little bit, but it's not that, not what I was used to of you got a whole fall season and then your spring, your spring season, that's four months long. Like you've got three weeks to get this done. So that was really interesting. And then from then on, I was part of Ethan Damano's youth team staff um, as a manager and assistant coach, that I learned a lot from because I, so they do, you know, ODP and nationals yeah. and the whole thing up until March. I didn't meet the group until NTSC. So I'm seeing after they had weeded down the group to about 60 athletes or so. And then, and then June camp from there, maybe a little bit of training. And then we went to uh, Pan Ams, went to youth worlds in Serbia, a couple different tournaments, but that was, that was interesting too, to, Again, see the, pl- the practice planning and see the difference between when you've got, you know, four days and what, what your practices look like when you only have four days and the selection and like hearing the conversations about when they were selecting athletes and why they were selecting athletes and, um, and even just the counter arguments for one girl's getting another shot because we've invested so much in her, you know, like we need, we need to keep investing versus, well, this was her chance, you know? And so the, that part was really interesting to me and just having completely counter arguments to, for the same result. 
was, was were you were there were there times where in your mind you were like I totally disagree with this player pick or I think this person brings more to the table it may not have been skill just some abstract thing that you just disagreed with I I I do think sometimes there was that but I I had to learn to come to come at those decisions from their lens because I was coming from the four year like college type lens, not the, we have it, we have her for the summer and this one tournament is instrumental for her next three years that we're planning for. So that part to me, I had to constantly like recheck myself and like reframe my thinking to come from that argument. But I do think there was a lot of healthy dialogue that went both ways pro and against athletes making rosters and it being a part of those conversations, even if I wasn't fully like in the conversation, being around for them taught me a lot um, of, of things to look for. And yeah, a lot of it. Do you have, do you feel like you have some similar conversations, whether it be with yourself or with your staff (laughs) about, players and how they're developing. I mean, I'm sure you do, but, um, what are those like? I mean, um, what are those conversations like? Like, look, we got to move on from this player. We have this new player. I think this one's developing or let's keep holding on. She's, she's finally getting it. Um, is that happening in your, within your staff as well? Oh yeah. Every, every day. Um, I, I consider myself to be highly analytical and, uh, which is a, it's a blessing and a curse. So I, I over, over analyze every situation, but I don't want to make a mistake because I didn't think about it long enough. Um, and so I'm constantly having those battles within myself and then within my staff, um, Candace Schroeder, who's my assistant, who she played here at, at IU. I kind of grew up with her too. We both played at set at the same time, but we never overlapped in our same age group, but she and I, she and I are really on the same page about a lot of things, but we have really healthy banter back and forth. Um, but it, yeah, it is interesting because there's athletes who are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And then there's some who aren't, and they have to, they have to prove themselves. And it's sometimes it's because they're more talented. Sometimes it's because they're more experienced. They're coming from a better program. Sometimes it's because we've invested more in them because we were really shallow in that position. And then, and they're getting a lot of shot, you know, they're getting a lot of run the next year. Maybe we're deeper in that position. We probably will be because we probably, yeah. you know, fill in the holes. And then if you can't step up after a year of that investment, I may not be able to give you another season, you know, yeah. it's, and it's hard because every, every day when we're making lineups at practice, those thoughts are considered and it's progress for all of these athletes and growth. Isn't, isn't this linear line, there's peaks and valleys, but they, it is the culmination of a lot of time and a lot of decisions. So the, yeah. the more that you can have those decisions trend in your favor and like, and be on the positive end, the, the better for, you know, overall at the end of their, at the end of their career, the end of the season, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's an important distinction between certain programs is that, you know, you're saying you're like really analytical and you're like talking with your staff about, you know, the player development, you know, you have to explain that 
You know, it's not like it's just like <laughs> I can just grab another player that was an All-American. Oh, and yeah. just Boom. You know, like I, I'm putting a lot of time and effort into you. And if it's not working out, I'm making the very difficult decision to move on. Um, but it's through a lot of thought because that could really affect your season. It's not like it could yeah. be the difference between winning and losing, honestly. Whereas some of the other programs, they might have way deeper rosters to pull from and say, okay, well, I just get this other All-American or, or whatever. Those programs have different challenges, and, and I get that. Um, but yeah. I, I would say this is your specific – one of your specific challenges. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. The I even know – you know, on it from a conference opponent, a girl who, you know, played a lot one year, this, uh, her freshman year, this past season, she wasn't playing as much. Um, she played club with one of my athletes and I'm like, Hey, how's, how's so-and-so doing? You know, like I didn't notice her on this trip. And, yeah. um, the two, the two girls had talked about it, right. They're friends. They all, they all know yeah. what's going on with each other. Um, they'll know the truth about what's going on with each other. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and she's like, you know, we talked about it. And she said, she's not playing that well. And so someone else is taking that spot. And that I think shows the make or break with some of these athletes. Um, and it happens every year with us when we name a travel roster, like there's girls on the fringe on either end of the travel roster, right? The ones who make it and the ones who don't. The starting, the group that travels the first weekend or like, it's usually not the same group that travels at the end wow. because those girls on the, on the fringe make decisions. The ones who are out, either like outwork the ones who are in and bump them out or the ones who are in get complacent and they, they don't see that they're in the fringe or they don't, they don't think their spots on the line, but every spots on the line. We're just not, we're not as deep to where I'm going to change my starters every week. Right. Like that's, that's not going to happen. But those, those last couple spots are definitely fluid. And like every, every trip, we don't announce a travel group until the Monday before we leave. Um, because sometimes it comes down to that wire, you know, the yeah. that Saturday scrimmage before we go um, of who's going to play in that spot. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I would assume that there's a little part of balancing, hey, let's give this person a chance. And maybe Absolutely. we see how this person reacts when they're not given the chance, you know. So it's not head games, but it's just like making sure the team is like on the same page with what the overall goals are. Uh, you know, that's, that's a constant juggle I'm assuming. Um, yeah. So it is let, for let, sure. I'm sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, it is a constant juggle. And I think the, the end, end of the day, I've got to do what's best for the team. And yeah. some day, some days it is picking the freshman. Some days it is rewarding the senior. Right. And, yeah. I think that's that's one thing that girls don't necessarily always they don't always see it right because they're eighteen to twenty two and they they don't understand that this has been like months in the months in the making sometimes years in the making but yeah, yeah the the goal is always to do what's best for the team but what's best for the team changes day by day. It, it's so crazy to think that you're visualizing some of these players when they're like sixteen years old and you're now you have them and you're like this is what I've been envisioning the whole time, or this is not what I was envisioning the whole time. (laughs) This is not what I thought was going to be sometimes positive, sometimes negative, but it's, it's, I think people don't appreciate the amount of work that goes into building the roster that you have today 
or next year or the year after. It's not just like, uh, here we go. Like you're planning yeah. this for a long time, which, which takes mm-hmm. a lot of work. So, um, I'm going to move into another question here. Um, yeah. What would you change about water polo if you could? And, and let me, huh. let me say this before, before, before you answer that. <laughs> Sometimes these questions are difficult because we're such a small community and there's, you know, the people that are working really, really hard at making our sport better are people we could pick up the phone and call right now, you know? And so it's like, we don't, we never want to like disparage the work that they're doing ever because they're doing an amazing job, but there's always a wish list, you know, of things that, and so I think it's coming more of a place of like wish list fantasy as opposed to you know this person's doing the wrong thing type of mentality so um yeah i I have to preface it by saying that (laughs) i've i think i've listened to all of your other episodes and i remember i remember like james graham and kirk everest i would probably have different answers than these guys um uh the i I'm much more like broad view. I want our sport to be less predictable and more exciting. Why does every, and and everything that I say comes from the college lens, the women's college lens of a Midwest team competing the NPSF. So take, take what I say for what it is. Yeah. Um, And like, and my angle, everyone loves March madness because of the upsets, right? I would love if a number 12 team could top could beat number one on when, when the stars align, right. I'm not saying it needs to happen every week. And we just have this constant, this constant shuffle of who's the best team in the country. We're always going to have every sport has like those dynasty type programs, right? Like the Ohio States, the Tennessee, like Tennessee football, they're down for however long they're back now. Right. Yeah, because they yeah. have that, that dynasty um, effect of them. But in water polo, and in water polo, we're always going to have those teams. But I would love if we had more parity, and I think that part of that comes from infrastructure. I would love to see us have roster limits where these teams can't take forty people just because they know that these kids are going to donate one day, and because they might help the GPA, and you can get them in, and it prevents them from going somewhere else. Like I have girls on my roster who would play at other teams that maybe don't play a ton for me, but could play a lot somewhere else. And then the whole trickle down effect would be huge for parity, which yeah. would then lead to more upsets and make it more exciting. Like our, our national championship at the, on the women's side, it's been a coin flip since 2010, only two teams have won since 2010. And I would love if that got broken. That's my, that's my big thing. Um, yeah. And, and, sometimes the stars have to align, right? You got to play someone and maybe like their best players out with concussion or this team had to travel and, you know, or, or girls are sick or you get a ton of momentum at the right time when you need it, you get 50, 50 balls your way. Like there's, there's things like that that have to happen, but we don't have an infrastructure. I don't think set up for that to happen as well. Part of it needs to be like grassroots level, more water polo teams across the country, more clubs, more age groups, more coaches. Um, but it's hard to coach when you're not getting paid. And I think yeah. that's, that's a problem. Um, that's a huge even problem. The, <laughs> yeah. 
even the consistency from an assistant coach standpoint, like there's a lot of new assistant coaches at program and every summer when I go recruiting, I feel like half the coaches on the deck are looking for an assistant and it's hard to find really quality assistant coaches. Not everyone is willing to pick up and move to coach at, you know, at a, at a well-funded program like mine, it's hard enough to find coaches, let alone a small division one in the East coast where maybe you have no connection to that area of the country. It's extremely difficult. So there's a lot of things. Um, I want parity. I want, I want our national championship to be a true like fight for a national championship. And I want conference championships to really mean something like it's like really winning a championship. I feel like sometimes that gets lost. Winning's hard. Um, And there are programs who they don't lose a lot. And when they do lose, it's to the same few programs. And so I don't think, I don't think they celebrate winning in the same way that other teams do. Um, But yeah, I would, I would like to see wins celebrated a little bit more and yeah. and have more parity. Do you think that the overall like do you think USA water polo could do a better job of promoting the programs like yours or do you think they have to stay neutral? I it's hard. I think that USA water polo is is a little too like no no harm towards anybody, right? Like, yeah, of course. I but I but I think they're a little bit too intertwined with every aspect of water polo, right? With like, they touch all of the club stuff. They highlight a lot of high school. A lot of the coaches overlap right between like high school club, national team, zone team. It's all, it's just this big tangled web. And I think for our, like our governing body, like I feel like our national teams should be operated from a different entity than everything else that's overseeing our sport. I mean, I agree. I'll tell you right now, not to interrupt you, but I agree 100 yeah. percent because USA basketball doesn't touch the NBA. Right. I mean, that's the bottom line. NBA U- USA, is totally USA separate. Soccer, yeah, USA soccer doesn't, you know, doesn't operate AYSO, and there's yeah, yeah. So- soccer's a. It's not fair to compare us to that, but we're organizationally do, though it does. Yes, make sense. Yeah, we we need we need like youth water polo to be operated in a different way in my opinion but it's gonna take it's gonna take some really dedicated people who have the time and the money to to get that operating we need we need like a couple of vcs to get together and start yeah. you know water yeah. polo um yeah i mean but you know and and again touching on what we talked about earlier it's like the the growth has happened the growth is happening mm-hmm. there's a lot more people playing and now it's like, what do we do with that growth? How do we continue to make it trend in the right direction so that every program benefits from that growth, not just a few? I mean, look, I'm going to have a couple community college coaches on on some of these podcasts. Being a community college coach, I can tell you right now, we don't feel any love really at all right on this on this level and and when you talk about diversity and equity and opportunity this is the place this is the level where you would see the most of that you know um you go to a community college swim meet like state state championship swim meet it's one of the most diverse aquatic events in the state of california and there's nothing for them outside of their season you can't really do much right. outside of the season, right? So I, I have a totally different perspective, but very, not totally different. 
very similar, just different complaints, I guess. Just, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and I think everybody's trying to figure out where to go next. Where do we go from here? But the parody thing, you know, I think I've said this before. It's like you don't see this a couple weeks ago, Princeton beat Stanford, which was a huge yep. upset. Yeah. But but Princeton was number was nine. Awesome. Stanford was number, you know, I think they were number two or whatever they were at the time. Maybe yeah, even two or one. three, something. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't see that very often at all. And when there's an upset like that, it's maybe once every two or three years. In college yeah. basketball, you know, obviously you see oh. it a lot more. College football, mm-hmm. you see it a lot more. Um, so I agree with you. It would be much more exciting if there was that. But you can't win without players. And so yeah. when, you say, when you say roster limits, are you specifically talking mm-hmm. about like uh, a big four institution can take any as many people as they want up to a certain they probably have some roster limit or no. Uh, every school is a little bit different. This is something that I've learned as a head coach here. Like my, all of the women, te- all the female teams at Indiana, we have roster minimums that we are supposed okay. to hit. Um, and then the men's team, the men's teams have max have like roster maximums. So like they can't pass and that's all for title nine purposes. Yeah. Um, I know that some schools, where the university is enrollment driven, a lot of private schools, they are those those programs are encouraged to take as many athletes as they can because mm. it helps with enrollment, right? Especially if you don't have a full eight, if you're not a fully funded women's water polo program, you don't have a full eight scholarships. Yeah, bring as many kids in as you want. They're paying full tuition. We'll take them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that's a conflict of interest that that is difficult. But yeah, I think like. Take as many kids as you want, split up, split up your scholarships as long as you don't pass X number, you know, whether it's 25 that can fit, you know, that's still a a large roster. I have 25 right now and I'll have 26 in the spring and I don't want to get bigger than that. It's it's a lot. Um, You need to have enough to be competitive, but, but not so many where people are sitting on the wall and not, not getting in at practice. So yeah. That's what I would like. If we could, if we could have a number like you are not passing that number, um, that would be huge. I think. Yeah, and then a few people will end up to you, and a few of yours will right. end up over there, and end so up. on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be. I would love to see, you know, in Indiana, you know, another school outside of that, you know, the the normal schools you know, being yeah. up there and winning a national championship. Um, but I think it's going to take a little bit of time, you know, and yeah. hopefully we're trending in that direction. So um, let me let me move on. I know we have a few minutes here, um, so I wanted to get these last couple questions in. Um, who have been your biggest mentors and influences in coaching uh, over the course of your career? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, the... The first two that come to my mind are my dad as one of my first coaches um, and really like we were a a salt and pepper shaker, like water polo family at the dinner table. Uh, So so that piece for sure. And then Ethan D'Amato coached me in high school and then I was able to to work with him too in in the youth team capacity. So that 
he's been a huge mentor of mine. Um, and then having like played for Rich Corso, I learned a lot from Corso. Um, my two years at Wagner, it was my first water polo coaching job. So there's a ton to be learned uh, in that from the administrative level. But I learned a lot about running a program from Chris Radmanovich. He's no longer there, but um, the learning of his why of like why everything was done a certain way and his consistency in that why and like in his decision making. Of course, it was one of those things I didn't realize until after I I was out of the program, but yeah. that has left a huge mark on me that, that I carry with me and like keep sticking true to my why, um, when, whenever I'm faced with these decisions that I mull over for, for hours, uh, falling back to my why. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the big ones. And then of course, like handfuls of people throughout the way I've had a lot of interaction with Sorella K from UC Santa Barbara. She and I were on, um, she, every national team staff that I've been on Sorella has been a part of it. So I've spent a lot of time with SK, um, Natalie, I don't even know if she, Natalie Benson, I don't even know if she knows this, but like I get to talk whenever I get to a pool deck and she's there, I try to talk to her because there's usually just like little nuggets of wisdom that she, that she shares probably unintentionally, but, um, (laughs) I try, I I, I try to soak up as much, um, as much Natalie as I can. So all of those people. I think it's one thing about this sport that's so cool is that the top, coaches i mean you're a head coach at indiana a head coach at fresno the head coach at stanford these are all people we can talk to these are all people like yeah. if you got an email from a coach asking you for advice or just wanted to talk to you you'd probably pick up the phone and talk to them and that's such a absolutely unique, like accessibility piece to our sport that a lot of people do not take advantage of and that's been a theme of all of the podcasts that i've done is that most people are like, my practices are open. Come on by. Give me a yeah. call. Like, let's talk. I, I, I want to share my knowledge. And I, I think that that's such a underutilized part of our sport that I hope more people um, take advantage of. But, you know, one thing, and I have to ask, you know, the, the pride and the sisterhood of being with other female coaches, um, how do you feel about that? What is that like? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, you must be lifting each other up. Okay. We got another head coach over here. We got another head coach over here. Like, I don't know. Could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah. And a lot within the last couple of years, um, yeah. Dana Oshner, who's at San Diego state, she was my college roommate. So, wow. and she's taking over for Karen, you know, she's the interim head coach fingers crossed she gets it, um, after the season, but, uh, and then Petra at ASU, Cassie at Michigan, there's Candace Walt-Taylor at, at, uh, UC Davis. Like there's a, a lot of us like younger female head coaches and there's a ton of pride in that. Um, a couple years ago, you could probably hear me say every time I was on the pool deck, like there's no man who's played women's water polo. So, um, the, that part, that part of the game, I think is just, uh, it's just important for, for young women too, who are going through such a transformational age in their life as in their college years. And even before, right. We start talking to them. Some of these girls are 15 when we start talking yeah. to them. So yeah. if I start recruiting a girl, she's 15, she graduates from college, she's 22. That's a huge chunk of time and a really, a really important part of their life that we get to have, that we play a big role, um, 
we see them the most. We see them in really difficult situations. We see them in on their most happy days, right? They're most up, they're most down. Um, so to have this many female head coaches is is really important to to just like all all of the young all of the young athletes out there who like they're not all of them are going to be coaches, right? Hopefully some yeah. of them, but in whatever whatever world they go into they've seen women leading a group. They've seen women leading a group during a bitter loss. They've seen women leading a group when the flight gets changed, they've seen, you know, and like, and how, how we react in those situations. So it's, it's really exciting and fun to see people. Like I grew up playing with Cassie and then we played against each other. Uh, she was at Stanford. I was at Cal. So have it. And then now being back to rivals again at Indiana and Michigan is fun. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's really exciting. And I, the more, the last couple of years, every time I walk on a pool deck, there's more and more of us. And that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. I think that's really exciting too. I think it's, it's an exciting way to, to make the sport better, you know, like bring in more minds, more thoughts, and hopefully it sort of expands from here. Um, at least that's my hope. Um, so I have one more question for you. Um, what advice would you give to a young coach or your younger self? I would say I'm, I'm happy with my path. Um, it was, I had ups and downs while as a player at Cal, I had ups and downs at Wagner for sure. Even at IU, I've had ups and downs, but I wouldn't be here had I not been really open to opportunities and said yes to opportunities. And I think, you know, I don't do everything right, but I think I went about I accepted opportunities in the right mindset of I'm going to learn something from this and I'm going to be better because of this opportunity. I think sometimes, especially like my generation and younger, everybody wants it to be like perfect, right? Everybody wants the, it to be completely beneficial in every way, shape or form. And some opportunities are going to be a little bit ugly, but then a little bit pretty in one end. And so take every opportunity for, for the good pieces and, and then learn from the bad pieces as well and, and keep moving forward. Not everything is going to be perfect, but the more that you can learn from the positive and negative, the better off you're going to be overall. That's great. Good advice. And I know that you probably have to say that to your players and, you know, they're in <laughs> the struggle. I mean, it, it's not easy. Yeah. It's very difficult to play at the collegiate level for a top program yeah. such as yours. So. Um, Taylor, I, I honestly, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to speak with you. Um, as I've said many times, like these are opportunities for myself to learn and get better as a coach. And so if I could take any nugget from any coach, I, I'm always very appreciative. And uh, hopefully we can come back again and, and talk uh, as a follow up and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome.